You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Genesis chapter 2, as you're turning there, I want to thank um, Mike again for being here to speak to us this morning. Such an encouragement uh, to know that God is raising up godly men to uh, serve our country um, faithfully. I love the connection that he made with the uh, subduing of the earth that we've been talking about so frequently here at Sovereign Hope and just the responsibility that we have to um, to be God's vice regents here on this earth and knowing that God has raised up godly men to uh, to serve our country faithfully is such an encouragement. And so I appreciate so much the heart that he shared this morning um, as a means of encouragement for us to take action uh, this week in the midst of uh, this election season. Um, the comfort and encouragement for us as Christians is that obviously our hope is not in the election, um, that we know God raises up leaders that he desires to be in those positions, but he doesn't do so absent from our participation, participation, that, that God calls us to participate in his plans in the same way we believe that God is going to, to save individuals from every tribe, nation, and tongue uh, to worship him on that final day, that he does so through us going and communicating the gospel. And so we know that God raises up leaders, but he does so uh, through the election process here in the United States. And so um, just an encouragement and invitation for you to participate in that this week. We turn our attention once again to the book of Genesis um, we've been talking about the creative week and how God's purpose uh, as Israel prepared to go into the promised land that ultimately God wanted to remind Israel and show Israel that he's better than the other gods that they would encounter in the promised land. That as they moved in and began to interact with other nations there and were introduced to other religions, God draws their attention to the fact that he is better than any man-created God. And so he brings them to creation and shows that he is Lord over every aspect of creation. These elements that were going to be presented to them as worship options, that these other nations were worshiping the sun, the moon, uh, the sea gods, different elements that were being worshiped. God reminds, Yahweh reminds his people that he is superior to all of these elements that they would encounter. And then we've highlighted, secondly, that God wants to show that the state of humanity, the state of our culture that Mike uh, so eloquently presented to us this morning, the fact that we have moved away from God, that that, is in a, that that in its sense is not a defect in his creation, that we see from the very beginning God created things very good, that, that what we see around us, the death and the suffering, is not a consequence of a poor creation, that it's, in, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a result of, of mankind's poor stewardship that God entrusted to him. And so the creative week reminds us of that, um, that the things that we see around us are not the full intent of God's creation. And it reminds us, as Romans 8 does, that we have a future hope of restoration when creation is made right once again. We saw in the last two weeks how man is created in God's image that we're created similar to God, that we possess some of his attributes on a, on a finite scale, but that we're meant to uh, represent God in all that we do to show creation who God is like, um, that, that God creates us with the capacity for relationship that separates us from the animals, um, that we're created to be in relationship with him, created to be in relationship with each other, and that God has given us responsibility. Um, that he's given us that responsibility to multiply, to fill the earth, to fill the earth with his glory as we subdue it. 
We talked about the hope of that greater image that Jesus comes and does what Adam failed to do. Jesus comes to rightfully image the glory of God as the God-man. And he rescues creation back to him. We talked about how we've surrendered uh, our authority to Satan, and now Satan is considered the ruler of this earth, obviously submitted to God's authority, but that Christ is coming to, to redeem everything and to rescue everything back to him. And when, when he returns once again, that death will be that final victory for him as he, as he puts death and sin to bed forever. Um, and he rescues humanity back to him. And then lastly, uh, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and we began to uh, come to an understanding of God's um, we're going to stop short of calling it a command in the New Testament, but God's uh, highly suggestive pattern of rest in the midst of our work. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I want to turn your attention there again this morning. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We highlighted some of the key words there that, that pop up over and over. The idea of God finishing things. The idea of things being done. The idea of God resting and blessing this special day. We said that God presents a pattern of rest to us that God made specific plans during those first six days to be done on the seventh day. That God very intentionally planned out his week so that there was built-in time to rest. Now, we said that God doesn't slumber or sleep, that he's, that he's not like man in the fact that he needs rest, but he gives us that pattern where he ceases from his work. He ceases from his work, and he doesn't take a nap, he doesn't sleep. Instead, he uses that seventh day to celebrate what has been accomplished over the six days, to, to celebrate it, to, to assess it, to evaluate it, and to give a final verdict of, this is very good. This was a productive week. This was a fruitful week. He made specific plans to rest on that seventh day. And I challenged you last week, and in the midst of our planning of our weeks, are we planning to rest? Are we planning to celebrate God's creation and to rejoice over a fruitful week? Or are we guilty a lot of times of planning to stay busy? That when we look at our week, when we see a weekend that nothing's been planned, are we quick to, to fill up our, our free time to stay busy? We talked about man's need for rest, that we have a tendency to overwork ourselves and that creation week becomes a pattern of work and rest that we see for all of mankind. We talked about the fact that, okay, we're not going to impose this upon you. We're not going to impose that you have to take a day of rest. But I challenged you last week in the midst of, we see freedom in the New Testament. And so we look at the Sabbath restrictions in the Old Testament and say, well, we're free from that. Like, we're free from the law. We don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. And I challenged you last week that it shouldn't be a, hooray, we don't have to. It should be let's still do it. Let's, let's, still try to, let's still try to reap the benefits of what that rest looks like. And we talked about how the Pharisees had made the Sabbath a burden, that they had imposed so many uh, non-God restrictions to the day that you almost feared the day because you were afraid of, of what consequences might come from breaking some of these laws that they had added to it. But when we looked at Scripture last week, a lot of the things that God uh, 
imposed upon them for those days were very good things. Things like not preparing food, and we talked about how restful it is for a woman, for a wife, for a homemaker to to not have to prepare food on a day, that it becomes a very restful experience if that's not the case. We talked about how God uh, had them stay at home. And we talked about the correlation there that we enjoy and are far more rested at times when we just stay at home. And so the things that God mandated for them were very good things. That the Sabbath was given as a good gift because God knows that we need our rest. We talked about the benefits that come from physical rest, the, the fact that it reminds us of our limitations, that we're not God, that we can't keep going day after day after day, accomplishing everything that we need to, that we have limitations that God has placed upon us, the need to rest, the need to sleep, that it allows us to be, um, it allows for maximum production. When we get our rest, we, we are able to, uh, to rejuvenate ourselves to where we can continue to produce the things that God has before us. We also said that it helps keeps us focused on our heavenly mindset versus our earthly mindset. And it allows us to reflect and correct. When we take time out where we pause and assess what has been accomplished over the course of a week, it allows us to reflect and then also to correct as we move into another week. And then we looked at the need for spiritual rest, that as Christ has come to complete all of the work of salvation, that we no longer have this hanging over our head where we have to appease God or earn God's forgiveness, that Christ has appeased him for us. That when Christ claims on the cross, it is finished, it's very similar to God looking over the creative week and saying, it is finished, it is done. And so I challenged you last week with some application about how to plan to rest. And we had our small groups this past week, and we dialogued a little bit about what it looks like for us to rest. And in talking with our other small group leaders, what what I kind of took away from our conversation and experience was is that everybody kind of got to a point where we said, that's a, that's a great idea. It's a, it's a good idea what we're talking about resting. It's just not really possible. Or we had some where it got to the point of, yeah, I'm trying to rest, and it amounts to a couple of hours on a Sunday that I'm setting aside to rest. And so I'm I'm burdened, and I feel like we have to continue to look at this this morning because I want it to be more than just a suggestion that you should take some time to rest. Um, I believe it is possible. I believe it is necessary that we become productive in our week, productive in such a way that it allows us to rest. And I want to give you some more insight today into what God's Word has to say about that. So In what we look at today, managing my week for the glory of God. Managing my week for the glory of God. We see God's week. We've seen that over the past several weeks now. We've seen what God did for six days and what God did on his seventh day. And now we look more at how we manage our week for the glory of God. We defined productivity last week as effectively, talking about Christian productivity, effectively stewarding our gifts, talents, time, energy, and enthusiasm for the good of others and the glory of God. Essentially, it's taking everything that God's given to us and stewarding it in such a way for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's what our week is supposed to be about. It's using everything that God gives to us for his glory and for the good of others, which sounds very similar to how we define sovereignty here, right? That God works everything for his glory and for the good of his people. And so, in a sense, we image that plan, that design that God has for all of creation. We strive to use the, thing that God, the things that God has given to us for his glory and for the good of those around us. 
Now, in our, in our um, small group, and you may have gotten into this as well, in our small group, we tried to talk a little bit about the difference between rest and laziness, right? Because when you start talking about a day of rest, a lot of times guilt feelings start to spring up. Well, if I sit around all day and do nothing, that's lazy. That's lazy, right? Like, and I told you that part of the reason God gives the Sabbath is to protect us from feeling guilty. Because we're under this mindset, especially in our culture today, where we should always be going, we should always be doing, that to stop, to take any type of break, sit on the couch, and do nothing, it very easily becomes laziness in our minds. And I believe there's a big difference. I believe that one can sit on the couch and rest, and it be rest, and not be lazy. I want to give you two definitions here for us to understand the difference. First of all, rest. Rest is celebrating completed work. Rest is celebrating completed work. Whereas laziness is celebrating in the midst of unfinished work. Laziness is celebrating in the midst of unfinished work. Right? God rests on the seventh day. And far be it from any of us to accuse God of being lazy on the seventh day, right? God could have done things on the seventh day. And yet he planned his week in such a way that he can cease from his work on that seventh day and celebrate what was accomplished. Now, it's not by accident. It's not that God got done in six days and says, well, wow, I'm done in six days. I guess I'll just take the seventh day off. God planned it that way. God was intentional to complete his work in six days so that he had the seventh day. It wasn't something that he got to the end of the week and said, well, there's an extra week there, an extra day there. Remember, we said that there's real no, there's really no rhyme or reason for breaking our weeks or breaking our calendar up into weeks. But that's a, that's a God ordained thing where he establishes the seven week pattern. God works in six days, finishes and is able to celebrate the seventh day. Laziness It's when we don't plan, when we don't effectively get done what we're supposed to get done, and then we still try to take the rest. So laziness is not finishing the work that God has given to us. We didn't plan properly. We didn't prioritize properly. But we still believe that we deserve the rest. That's when laziness starts to set in. You can have two individuals doing the exact same thing. One is resting. He's completed the work that God's given him. One is being lazy. He has not finished. He has not completed the work that God has given him. So there's the, there's the difference there, and I want you to understand the difference. So that as we talk about rest, you can, you can fight the concept of laziness and know that, that, that God has ordained rest for us. And he's also called us to not be lazy, to finish the work that's been given to us. In your notes there, number one, why do I need to be productive? So we talk about managing our week. It, it necessitates us being productive with our week so that we can get to the end of the week and enjoy that restful period. But why do we need to be productive? Why is that necessary? Learning to be biblically productive is a sign of true sanctification happening. Let me say that to you again. Learning to be biblically productive is a sign of true sanctification happening. As you grow in your productivity, biblical productivity, so doing the right things, accomplishing the right things, as you grow in your ability to be productive, it's a sign that true sanctification is happening in your life. Why is that? 
because to be productive, it, it necessitates an ability to prioritize rightly. For us to be productive with our week, it means that we have to prioritize rightly. And the Bible has a lot to say about discernment, about a Christian choosing the right things, the best things. It necessitates an ability to prioritize rightly by placing proper value on heaven and earth. Learning to be biblically productive is a sign of true sanctification. It shows an ability to prioritize rightly by placing proper value on heaven and earth. How we break down our week, we we show that we're growing in our understanding of the Christian life because there's intentional planning to be productive with our week, specifically biblically productive, productive in what we're going to see today in performing good works. All right, in your notes there underneath, why do I need to be productive? The first thing, I was created to be productive. I was created... To be productive. In Romans chapter 11. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul reminds us that all things were created for God. For his glory. We were created to be productive in the sense of bringing glory to God. In 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God has commanded us to subdue this earth, to, to use our week productively for his glory. That's why we were created. We were created for his glory. We're productive in our week. To bring him glory. What we see here in God's example week is that God worked well and completed his weekly goal of creation. So we see God imaging for us what productivity looks like. We see him using his time wisely. We see him formulating a week that accomplishes an entire universe of creation. And then the seventh day being an opportunity to celebrate that production. God sets that example for us. He, he commands us now to image that same type of productivity. God has called me to work as a means of ruling over creation. All right, so we, we've seen in Genesis, as we've talked about day six, where God creates man. God created man, and he gave him work, right? Work is not a, a consequence of sin. We were created with purpose. We were created with tasks. God says, subdue the earth, rule over it. Every single job that's represented here this morning is an element of that. We are all working to subdue the earth. We talked about subduing, meaning to take the resources that God has given us in the earth and using them for our benefit. Right? So, so uh, what we see, we could turn, we won't take the time to do it, we could turn to uh, Genesis chapter 4. After Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden, we start to see the subduing happen. We start to see Cain and Abel gathering flocks and, and growing food. We see a city being built in chapter four, chapter 4, verse 17. We see musical instruments being built in chapter 4, verse 21. We see tools being built in chapter 4, verse 22. Mankind starts to embrace jobs and responsibilities and starts to subdue the earth. And when we work our jobs, it's an element, it's an aspect, it's a way 
for us to worship God because we're doing what we were created to do, to subdue the earth. So every job that's represented here, even those that don't have jobs, for our women that stay at home and take care of the children, God has tasked you with with responsibilities throughout your week to subdue the earth. And, and, And we honor God and we worship God by doing those jobs, by doing that work faithfully, by doing it in such a way that it can be declared very good. It's been estimated that for those that, that work, a lot of times we end up working about 40 hours a week. Obviously, some work a lot more than that at times. But if you were to work for 40 hours for 40 years, you start working a real job around 20. Maybe you're able to retire at 60. But if, if we're thinking in just terms of 40 hours a week for 40 years, that's 80,000 hours that will be given to some type of job. It's a, it's a good thing that God's given to us. It's not just a mundane task. It's an, it's an opportunity for us to worship God through the work that God has given to us. We were created for this. We were created to be productive with the hours that God gives to us. And it doesn't matter what job you have in here. It's not that, that some have more significant jobs and so they worship God better by doing those things. Um, there's, a, there's a book out recently by Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. And in that book, this quote comes from that. It says, your work matters not because of what you do but because of who you work for. Your work matters not because of what you do, but because of who you work for. Right? We've all had conversations with people who work a job that in the end of the day it doesn't seem very uh, eternal. Right? Like I'm doing something that in the long grand scheme of things doesn't really seem to matter. We've probably all worked jobs like that. I went through a period of time where, where I worked at a bowling alley and Night after night, I watched individuals come and bowl till 3.30 in the morning, and I wondered, what was I doing with my life? That, that how, how did this job have any significance to God's kingdom? Right? We've all had phases in that. You may be in that situation right now where you're working a job where at the end of the day you're thinking, what has really been accomplished with what I did today? It's not the job that's been given to you that makes it worth it. It's the fact that we work for a God who has given us the task to subdue this earth. That's where the value comes in the work, is the fact that we work for the creator of this universe. God has called me to rest from my work so that I do not worship the creation that I rule over. That's important too. God has created you to be productive. He's created you to work. He's given you tasks to accomplish. And I believe part of the reason that he calls us to rest is so that we don't fall prey to the guilt of worshiping the job that has been given to us. We, we know people, and, and you may have struggled with this, we know people who their identity becomes so wrapped up in the job that they have. For many of us, that's the first thing that we tell people about ourselves, right? My name is so-and-so, this is what I do. And we have to be very careful that our identity, who we are, doesn't get completely wrapped up in what we do. That God has given us work, and it's a very good thing, and it's a means of us worshiping him, But part of the reason he calls us to rest is because our work is not everything that we are. That it's a reminder that we don't worship creation. We don't worship the fact that we rule over creation. We worship the one that's given us that task. Secondly, I was saved to be productive. So we were created to be productive. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to to rule and reign over the garden, to subdue the earth, to multiply, to spread out to spread his image to the ends of the earth. We know that sin tainted that purpose. 
And so God is in the business now of saving people to be productive. What we see in the New Testament is a a definition of being productive in the terms of good works. Good works are works done for the glory of God and for the good of others. God saved me to perform good works. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul reminds us that in our salvation, grace has been given to us so that when we look at our week, our week should abound in good works done for God's glory and the good of others. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the best passage that you can come to for a a correct understanding of good works, right? Good works do not earn salvation. Good works do not give us salvation. The Bible says that no one is saved as a result of their works. And yet we find in verse 10 that we are saved for good works. Not saved by our good works, but saved for good works. Now that we have been redeemed and saved, we are recommissioned. Just like Adam and Eve, we are now recommissioned in the area of good works. To multiply ourselves, to subdue the earth in a way that honors God. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. In Titus 2.14, God saves us. He redeems us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God doesn't just create us and give us a list of things to do and not do. And when we've got that done, we've accomplished what he wants us to. This gets tied into even the motive and the passion behind what we do. It's not just that God saved the people to do things. It's that God saved a group of people for them to be zealous, passionate, joyful about doing those things. In Acts 9.36... Such a great description of this woman. Talking about Paul when his name was previously Saul. When he had come to Jerusalem. Let me see if this is right. 36, not 26. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. What a, what a great description of this woman. When, when, when they're trying to, to let you know who this woman was, we're talking about Tabitha here. We're talking about a woman who was full of good works, full of acts of charity. This is what the scriptures say we've been saved for, 
to be productive in the area of good works. God is glorified through my weekly plans for good works in Matthew 5, 16. So we've been saved to good works, but in talking about managing our week, that's when we start to see the good works come out in our weekly pattern. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The responsibility there that we are to live in our week in such a way that there are good works present that other people see and it points them to our Heavenly Father. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that in all that we do, we should do so for the glory of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God expects me to have a reputation of good works. In Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8, it talks about us serving those that have been placed above us in the work field. That we're to work in such a way that God receives glory and honor. In 1 Timothy 5.10, And having a reputation for good works. This is talking about widows that should be cared for by the church. And look how good works is defined. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. See, this, this, this takes good works from being a, an abstract Something that we try to do a couple of times a year, you know, we try to go on a missions trip and that would be considered a good work. Or we, or we give some money to an organization and that's a good work. This, this is more of a weekly pattern, right? That the, the church is supposed to care for widows who are known for good works. Well, what kind of good works? Things like raising their children well, showing hospitality in their house, caring for the saints, caring for the afflicted. These are things that are supposed to be naturally part of our week and we're supposed to be known For these things, the Bible tells us. We've been created to to be productive. We've been saved to be productive. And then lastly, we will be held accountable for our productivity. I will be held accountable for my productivity. Mike referenced this passage this morning, Matthew 25, 21. Talks about our need to be faithful stewards of the time, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. Right. The, 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 the end of our life, when God says that, well done, my good and faithful servant, it's an individual who has been productive with the things given to him by God. The implication all through the New Testament is that we are going to be held accountable for how we've used our time here on this earth, how we've used the resources that God has given to us here on this earth. So so at the end of the day, why should you be productive with your week? Well, you were created to be productive. God created you in the image of him. To accomplish things just as he accomplishes things. That all went awry with sin. And so God goes another step further and saves you. Saves you to be productive. He saves you to be zealous for good works. Working for his kingdom. Doing his will. And then he goes so far as to remind us that we'll be held accountable. We'll be held accountable for how we use our weeks. What do we accomplish in our weeks? Are we accomplishing the right things in our weeks? I need to be faithfully busy with the right things of life, the Bible tells us. In Luke chapter 9, 
verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So it's not just a a trumpeting of the idea of productivity because we can be productive. There are individuals that are very productive on this earth that are going to lose in the end. That at the end are going to find out they've been productive with all the wrong things. They've produced all the wrong things in this life. And it's a reminder from Jesus that we're to be faithfully doing the things that are important. The implication here is that God has created me and saved me to bring him glory and others good. God has created me and saved me to bring him glory and others good. And if that's true, then it demands that I structure and organize my life to do that. If, I, if, I've, if I've been put here to bring him glory and to do good to others, it demands that as I plan my week out, that those two things factor in greatly to how I'm going to spend my time. Right? We're saved and then we're left here. In our minds, the, 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 the natural thing would be, if Christ has saved us, then get us out of here, right? The Bible says this isn't our home. This isn't our eternal dwelling place. So why don't we get to go and be with him? Because we can worship him far better in his presence. We can interact with him and have a far deeper relationship with him in his presence. The reason that we're left here is to multiply, right? That's, that's, the, that's the thing that, that we're left here to do. It's to, it's to spread the glory of God to people that don't have the glory of God yet. We're left here on this earth to multiply. The Bible has already highlighted the fact that as we serve God in our jobs, as we do good works, it points Gentiles, it points unsaved people to the glory of God. That's why we're left here, to multiply. It was given to Adam and Eve, and it's given to us in the Great Commission to reproduce ourselves. This is why we need to be productive, because it's what we're created for, it's what we're saved for, we're going to be held accountable to it. But secondly, why do I need to plan my week? Why do I need to plan my week? Because this is ultimately where, I, where I'm going with this, is that I want you guys to, to leave being intentional to really think through how you're using your time each week and to do it in such a way that it allows times of rest for you to celebrate what you have accomplished in God's name. But why is it necessary to plan our week? Let me start by asking this question. We get asked this, you get asked this constantly. Did you have a good day today? Or did you have a good week? For those of us that only see each other weekly, we might say, hey, how was, how was last week? Did you have a good week? How many of you, how many of you get that question as often as I do, right? Like that, that's a common occurrence. What do we mean when we say that we did have a good week? Think, think through what, what would have to happen in a week or in a day. When you come home, your wife asks you, hey, did you have a good day today? What, what does it take for a good day for you to answer that question and say, yes, I had a good day. Thoughts on that? What makes a good day? What makes a good week? Or what makes a bad day? What makes a bad week? Okay. 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 What makes, a, what makes a good day? What makes a good week? 
Because most of us default and say, yeah, yeah, I had a good week. Yeah, I had a good day. Okay. I think what really resonates with us when, when we look back and say that was a good day and that was an eh kind of day, it's when how we spent our time matches what we value. Think about it for a second. A good day is when we've spent our time doing something that we value. Those are typically the days that we look back and say that was an enjoyable day, that was a fun day, that was a good day. Now, that doesn't mean that good days can only be uh, confined to days that you get to go and do your hobby. You know, a good day could be a day of fishing. A, a good day could be a day of shopping because you're doing something that you consider fun and enjoyable. But if my value is placed on serving God faithfully in my workplace, then I can come home and have had a good day because how I spent my time matches up with what I value. I value being faithful in my job. And so if I was faithful today, if I worked hard, did what I was supposed to do, then that should resonate with me. It should feel like a good day. It should feel like an accomplished day. So striving to kind of manage our week in such a way where we're, where we're, we're seeing it that way. Good planning allows you to get more done in the area of good works. Okay, so going back to the idea of being productive, Proverbs 21.5 reminds us that if we're faithful to plan, we're going to accomplish more. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Now, what were we told to abound with in the New Testament? We're to abound in good works. Most of us are not going to have a week of abundance in regards to good works if we don't plan for it. If we just go about our week, just taking every day as it comes to us, at the end of the week, most of us aren't going to look back and say, what an abundance of good works I accomplished this week. It just happened that, that it just fell into my lap that I was just doing good things all week long. The Bible says that the one who plans, who diligently plans, is the one who's led to abundance. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That kind of ties back to what we were talking about. Uh, those that work a job that doesn't feel like it has eternal significance. The Bible says that when we're working in such a way that we are abounding in the work of the Lord, using our work as a means of glorifying him, that our work is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. Good planning allows us to get more done in the area of good works. First thing underneath this, I need to strive for maximum production. I need to strive for maximum production. It takes initiative to conceive, plan, and execute the best plans for the good of others. Look what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, 15, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you see the element of planning there that Paul is highlighting? He says, look, the days are short, the days are evil. You've got to be intentional about using your time the best way possible. There are all kinds of things that you could commit yourself to this coming week. 
all kinds of all kinds of demands that are going to be placed upon you if you say yes. People are going to ask for your time all week long. Paul says, be very careful, be very intentional. Look at how you walk. Make the best use of your time. Because of sin, I must plan to do good. My flesh and my spirit will war against each other this week. And if I don't intentionally plan to do the things that God wants me to do, they won't get done because my flesh will win in the end if I just approach this week without any type of planning. Look what Isaiah chapter 32 verse 8 says. Isaiah 32 verse 8. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. It says the noble individual plans to be noble. Galatians 6 verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul says to look for the opportunities, to, to see the opportunities and to plan to take advantage of those opportunities to do good. Titus chapter 3 verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. They may be careful to devote themselves, not to just go through every day, go through every week expecting that good works will happen. He says, be careful to devote yourself to good works. Plan to devote yourself to good works. John Wesley says, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the peoples you can, as long as you ever can. Because my time is limited, I must be urgent. Psalms 90 verse 12, the psalmist cries out and and says, God, teach me to number my days so that I use them wisely. In Proverbs chapter 6, Verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The wisdom behind planning our days. Think about some of the things that we are so unfaithful to do, and it can be traced to our unfaithfulness to plan. When I'm in discipleship opportunities or accountability opportunities, it constantly comes up. What's time in the Bible look like? What does time in prayer look like? What does time look like in, in reaching out to those that are lost and evangelizing? These are the type of things that we're called to do that don't naturally fit into our schedule, right? I've never encountered somebody who just naturally finds time to spend time with God. I don't, I don't know anybody that's like that, especially in, in accountability groups and discipleship groups that I've been into. We talk about struggles and fights with sin. Okay, what does your time in the Bible look like? Well, it's non-existent, right? Like, I don't have time. I'm so busy during the week. I just didn't get time in the Word this week. I've never encountered anybody that just has all this free time on their hands where they're just like, man, I spend time in the Word all the time. Like, it's just, I'm just sitting around like, what am I going to do? I'll just be in the Bible today. It takes intentional planning because our flesh, our flesh will do anything and everything beyond spiritual disciplines. In talking with uh, our youth guys this morning, talking about how they're going to be in the Word this week, I, I, I insisted that they tell me what chapters they were going to study 
so that they knew exactly where to go when they sat down to study. If you don't plan, it's not going to happen. You have to plan to be in the Bible. You have to plan to pray. You have to plan to, to interact with your neighbors that are lost. You have to plan to prioritize our church schedule so that you can be at your accountability group, so that you can be at your small group. Those things don't just naturally fit into our schedule. Because of sin, we have to plan to do those things. Secondly there, I need to strive for maximum protection. Why do we plan our week? Because we have to strive for maximum production and for maximum protection. Because of physical limitations, I must plan to rest so that I remain faithful to do good. I go to Galatians 6, 9 often. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know what helps us to continue pressing on and pushing forward and staying faithful? It's, it's what Paul says, not growing weary in doing good. I believe God built in a day of rest. A day for us to step back from the rush of life. To protect us from growing weary in doing good. There's been seasons in my life in ministry... Not that long ago, where I worked myself sick, physically sick, worked myself out of work. And I told you last week that, that this isn't a promise in Scripture, but it was to the children of Israel that if they failed to rest, that God would force them to rest. That if they failed to honor the Sabbath, if they failed to honor the Sabbath for the land, God said, I'll kick you out of the land. I will, I will force you to let the land rest. There's been seasons in my life where I worked and worked and worked and were doing things that were eternally significant and worked myself to sickness. I remember one Sunday distinctly where, where I was supposed to preach that morning and physically could not. And I walked by the office of my best friend and I said, sorry, bro, you got this this morning because I can't go and, and walked out the door. And I, I'm talking like an hour before time to preach. Worked myself physically sick where i couldn't go anymore and it was a season in my life where i was growing weary in doing good and it can be traced to the fact that i wasn't resting properly we have we have a course of life set before us where we're we're called to do good to work for the glory of god but if we're not careful we grow weary in doing good to where when we see on our calendar oh walk for life is is this saturday for for the crisis pregnancy center oh, i wish we didn't have to go to that like i am i am so tired i need a day of rest I wish we didn't have to go to that. Or, oh, light up some noise coming up, and I wish we didn't have to do that. Like, we start to grow weary in doing the things that we really should find joy in doing. And it's because of the way we've structured our calendars, structured our week, structured our schedule, to where the times of opportunity to abound in good work are times that we dread. We grow weary in doing good. We're not resting right we're not, we're not yielding to the physical limitations that God has placed upon us. We're overworking ourselves with, with maybe good things. We're really pushing ourselves at work, but it leads to us growing weary in doing good. We must plan so that we can enjoy doing good. When you don't define your task to be, to be accomplished in a week, your weeks never end. 
when your work isn't clearly defined, you never finish. You, you've, you've had those experiences before where, where you didn't feel like you got a weekend, right? Like it just felt like the weeks just begin to blur together because it's just go, 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 nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. That the, the weeks don't even break themselves up anymore. It necessitates us defining what has to be done this week, planning to accomplish it, and planning to rest and celebrate God allowing us to accomplish it. And lastly here, because of spiritual limitations, I must plan to fight the indwelling sin that lives on within me. We've got a plan to rest each week, and we've got a plan to fight sin each week. John Owen says, The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. He also says, He that is appointed to kill an enemy... If he leaves striking before the other ceases living, does but half his work. We have to plan our week so that we can plan to fight sin, so that we can plan to do good, so that we can plan to rest, so that in the midst of fighting sin, in the midst of doing good, we don't grow weary in that process. Right? Like in, in our accountability groups, there's times where we talk, and, and part of the reason that we've given in to sin is because of the tiredness that we're experiencing. That our guard is down, our, 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 our discernment is down, our, our passion and zealousness for doing good is down, and we yield ourselves to sin. God gives us and he affords us the opportunity to rest. All right, some application and we'll be finished. Application, keys to planning a productive week. Keys to planning a productive week. First of all, it starts with remembering that ultimately Jesus controls our schedules. Jesus controls our schedules and we need him to accomplish anything, right? John fifteen five says that without Christ, we can do nothing. But then there's also caution in James chapter 4 that if we, we wrap ourselves too tightly around our planning, that we become guilty of not yielding to the sovereignty of God. In James four thirteen, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I don't believe in any way James is condemning the, the practice of planning. I think he's encouraging planning with the right perspective, with enough flexibility that as God alters our schedule, that we're not completely thrown off, right? We're not the kings of our schedule. We're not, we're not lords over our schedule. We're submitted to God's sovereignty. There needs to be enough flexibility there to where we yield to his will for our life. But it doesn't completely negate the idea of planning. Secondly, in this application, we talked about this last week. It starts with defining your roles. Defining your roles. And I, and I, and I kind of walked you through how I'm doing this in my life. And I've been challenged greatly recently. People tell me all the time they don't know how I do what I do and get done everything that I get done. But I've been challenged lately because... I'm looking at it and realize that there are, there are such areas of improvement for me in the area of being productive. That I'm not always accomplishing the things that I should be doing. I'm accomplishing a lot of things, but there's a lot of room for growth. And um, just to give you a, a resource, uh, Topi and I are reading through this book together right now, uh, What's Best Next? How the Gospel Transformed the Way You Get Things Done. It's an excellent book, and it's challenging me greatly right now. 
I'd encourage you uh, to pick this up potentially on Amazon um, and, and read through some of the concepts that, that he presents about our productivity. But one of the areas that he talks about that, um, that I referenced for you last week was the idea of defining your roles. Who are you? And I told you last week, I, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a coach, I'm a principal. Those are six big titles that demand a lot of my time. But as I think through my week and what I'm going to do with my week, it necessitates me looking at what I'm supposed to do with my week. What is God going to hold me accountable for on that day when he returns? Well, he's called me to be those things. And I expect that he wants me to steward those things very well. He's going to expect me to be a good husband, a good father, a Christian that's zealous for good works a principal that faithfully leads our school, a coach that faithfully builds young men through our football program. He's going he's to expect me to be faithful. He's going to hold me accountable to those things. And so as I plan my week, I use those roles to help define what I'm going to do and what tasks need to be accomplished that are related to those roles. Secondly, architect your schedule. So define your role, architect your schedule. Weave into your life a flexible schedule that allows you to fulfill your roles. Now, I'm giving these to you pretty quick today because next week is our application Sunday. And for those of you that are new to our church, when we finish a chapter of Scripture, we pause and have a a Sunday completely devoted to application. What are we going to do with what we've learned in this chapter of Scripture? And so we've come to the end of chapter 1 in Genesis, and I told you chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, really should be tacked on because it's the final day of creation. And so next week for, um, for our time here, we're going to invite everybody that's here to bring some type of breakfast item. We're going to eat breakfast together, and then we're just going to talk about how to do what we've been learning about. And so I'm giving some of this stuff to you quickly today because we're going to look at it more in detail next week, and I'm going to show you how I'm striving to do this in my life. So I'm giving it to you real quick today. Define your role, architect your schedule. Number three, reduce the expendables. Reduce the expendables. That means delegate, eliminate, and defer what does not have to be done by you. Delegate, eliminate, and defer what does not have to be done by you. This is hard for me because I do not like to spend money that does not need to be spent. But I came to the point, I don't know, a year or two years ago, when I realized, okay, God has called me to be a full-time principal and a pastor of a church plant. There's not a whole lot of time left over after that, in addition to being a husband and a father and a coach. And so I've had to come to the point where I pay for things that I could do. I just don't have the time to do them. And so I delegate them, not because I'm lazy and not, and certainly not because I like spending the money, but there are certain things that I just don't have the time to do. And in order to still continue to invest in my family and in the work that God has given me, I delegate it and I pay somebody else to do it. And it, it, it keeps my schedule freed up to where I can accomplish what God has for me to do. Reduce the expendables. Get rid of anything and everything that doesn't have to be done by you so that you can accomplish the roles that God has given to you. And then lastly, execute your plan. 
Work to accomplish joyfully the task given to you with a plan to rest from the work accomplished. Right? We're not just trying to be efficient so we can work more. The goal is to plan our week in such a way so that we can rest after our week is completed. That time of rest, it, it, it's a, we talked about it last week, it's a built-in pause button. See, if I'm not careful, I go through my life, and if I don't build in times of rest, my weeks blend together. And before long, 20 years have passed, and I look back and say, man, I've been a crummy dad. I've been a crummy husband. I have not fulfilled the roles that I should have. But that day of rest is a built-in pause button where I look back and say, okay, past six days, have I been a good husband? Have I been a good father? Have I been a faithful Christian? Celebrate the victories. Correct where I was wrong. Okay, I've got another week ahead of me. How am I going to, to strive to do better in bringing glory to God and good to others? It's a natural break to where I don't just see my life passing and changes aren't being made. That I build in that time of rest so that I don't grow weary in doing good. But it also builds in time where I can make corrections to where I can continue to be faithful the way that God's called me to be. I want to challenge you to be here next week um, because, like I said, I left our, our time in, in small group afraid that we're just going to move right past this and say, huh, that, was, that was a cute idea that, that Adam had, um, just not doable, just not feasible. And so we're going to continue plodding on with our overworked schedules, it's going to continue to be a fight to get people to prioritize our church family in the midst of those busy schedules. And I don't want to see that for us. I want to see a church family that is faithfully doing what God's called them to do, being able to rest and celebrate the things that are being accomplished. People that are energized and zealous to make it to the very end. To not grow weary in doing good. So I encourage you to be here next week for our application Sunday. So we can work through this a little bit more in detail. can share with you some of the things that I'm thinking through for, for me uh, in my personal life. And, and how I want to, uh, to even restructure some of the things that I've been doing. Uh, to be more productive. To allow a time of more rest uh, for me and my family to enjoy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you have set such a glorious pattern in Genesis 1 and 2 about what the work week should look like. God, we're thankful that you set the example of being productive and being able to rest and celebrate the production. And God, I know that you've called each and every one of us that's here today to work and to subdue this earth and to multiply and Father, I know many of us feel overworked, feel like there's not enough time in our schedule to accomplish everything that we want to. Father, I know for many of us, the most important things are things that are being left out. That our time in the Word is minimal. Our time in prayer at times is, is non-existent. Father, I don't want us to be guilty of gaining the whole world and losing our souls in the end. Father, we want to be a people that recognize what we were created to be. 
people that are working for your glory, for the good of others, and that are responsibly resting in the midst of it, so that we can keep on abounding in it. God, we recognize if we're just going through the motions and and showing up at things and doing things, but there's no joy behind it, there's no zealousness behind it, then we're not accomplishing it the way that you meant for us to. Father, as we as we make plans to be a church that, that impacts this world globally, a church that, that plants other churches overseas, God, I know that's never going to happen if we're not zealous for the things going on here and if we're not faithful to plan our weeks here We'll never make it to planting churches overseas. And God, we want to be a church that multiplies, a church that works to fill this earth with your glory. So God, I pray that you'd bring us back next week where we can really continue to work through the application process of how to be productive with our week, how to manage our week for your glory and for the good of those around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.